Hey, it's me, your COVID-19 face mask. I know I can feel irritating at times, but if you actually want me to be a bit more comfortable while you're wearing me, you should also be listening to an episode of this podcast. Before continuing my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. I am very excited to share the final results of our first Potterless donation duel. This past week, we did a head-to-head battle to see what the true name of Dumbledore's device is. Is it the put-outer or the deluminator? We were raising money for the Marsha P. Johnson Institute along the way. We raised a total of $3,531, and in a landslide victory, the put-outer team won 2,577 votes to 954, so I don't know what else to tell you all. It is clearly definitive that this device's true name is the put-outer. Thank you so much to everyone who donated. And if you haven't looked into the charity we supported this time, the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, I highly recommend it. They're doing great, incredible work. And you can learn more about them on their website, marshap.org. And also, I just wanted to let you know that I've been putting up little bonus clips for all patron tiers over at patreon.com slash potterlist. Just little audio nuggets that couldn't make it into the episode, whether it's me yelling at loud cars outside of my window while I'm trying to record, or me and my guests being silly before we get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, or just any other clip that couldn't make it into the show. I've been posting a bunch of those recently recently, and you can access all of them immediately if you go to patreon.com slash Potterless. And speaking of the Patreon, we have new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Ella, Julia Christensen, Josephine Knob, Emily Nelson, Miriam Risen, Sammy Williams, Kimberly Campbell, Laura Voss, Rosita Gonzalez, Alana Calindras, Lillianne Bradley-Gill, Madeline Pratt, The Lovely Loveless, and the return of K.A. Rob. Shout out to Ilaria Vizentin, who upgraded to the producer level status, as well as our new producer level patrons, Liam Simmons and Lori. They joined the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Clown, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Rosemary, Maria, Romina, Audra, Eleanor, Nikki. Kita, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Haley, Alex, John, Noel, Liz, Brandon, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Summer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Mark, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Nikki, Kine, Amanda, Alicia, Kafir, Sarah, Marta, Eileen, Keegan, Mr. Folk, Maya, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Skyla, Edel, Professor, Threat, Ellie, Elizabeth, Michael, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Samantha, Aurora, Marcos, Courtney, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Jenny, McKenna, Heather, Brad, Thomas, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Chrissy, Yarl, Ashley, Peter, Sophie, Jen, and Callahan, Leah, Melissa, Bella, Melanie, Elizabeth, Britt, Becca, Reese, Adam, Joseph, Lily's mom, Tyrone, Money, Madison. And Kyle Tonks, GK, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, David, Matt, Okamahime, Yimki, Boney, Pony, Jacob, Kelsey, Taco, Bluefish, Rike, Taylor, Rochelle, Megan, Alicia, Riley, Colleen, Laurel, Rossanne, Erica, Miranda, Landon, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Richard, Sandra, Craig, Andren, K, Steve, Lior, Angela, Julia, Demi, Kelsey, Michael, Danae, Michelle, Callista, Kringle, Lovekesh, Jennifer, Crystal, Henrika, Jeremy, Delkis, Katrina, Jerrica, Michelle, Casey, Megan, A Thousand, Sot, Serenity, Jack, Sophia, Matthew, Dane, Rochelle, Kirsty, Robin, Chick, Mermaid, Aaron, Biatch, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never completely miss their mouth and get food all over their lap when they're trying to eat trail in the car. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to exclusive live streams, bonus episodes, director's commentary, and more, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 131 of Potterless, covering the first part of act one of a very Potter sequel, guest starring Tessa Netting. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 28-year-old man who didn't read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult. He watched the movies, and he's going beyond all of that fun stuff into the A Very Potter Trilogy, I guess that's what it's called. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by a Harry Potter YouTuber, podcaster, overall lovely human being. It's Tessa Netting. Tessa, how's it going? Hi. Hello. I'm so excited to be on this podcast. You don't even know, because we were supposed to do something together at LeakyCon, and I was so pumped for that, but then I couldn't make it, and so now it's finally happening, and it's happening around a very Potter-like trilogy, so that makes me happy. Yes, 
I think it's destiny that it happened. Of course, it's unfortunate that we couldn't make the LeakyCon thing happen, but it was great that when I messaged you about trying to get on the show, I was like, oh, do you want to do anything else? Like, I'm doing a Very Potter musical right now, but there's other stuff. And then you were like, yeah, I'm engaged to Snape, so I'd love to do one of the things, if possible. I was like, if possible, of course. So, what? <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> It's the best. I don't know if this is me being out of the loop or if this is like very public knowledge, but I had no idea that this was a thing. And that's very cool. Yes. Yes. So I have known uh, Joe Moses for a long, long time. Uh, we've been together for like eight years now and we got engaged uh, last year. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Uh, we met through Pat Brady, uh, which is Star Kids manager and my current agent. So she introduced us, told us not to date each other, which meant we <laughs> pretty much had to. Yeah, so that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> we just hit it off right away and I just love him so in love with him I have a really like funny story about Starkid as well so oh please let's start it right off the top <laughs> yeah so uh it was 2010 I was 19 and I was actually on Broadway at the time whoa yeah I was in Billy Elliot the musical uh in the original cast and my two favorite things in the entire world was musical theater and harry potter so people just kept telling me over and <laughs> over to watch this musical but i was just so busy and it was so long and then when a very potter sequel came out everyone in the potter fandom was just like talking about it so i finally watched them back to back <laughs> and i absolutely just fell in love with it because it was the first time that i had seen anything like poking fun at Harry Potter in like a lovable way, like coming not from a place of hate, but coming from like a place of love. And uh, Star Kid was actually what inspired me to make my own Harry Potter content on the internet. <gasps> that's so good. Yeah, so they just started it all for me. And now that's like a big part of my job. So it's really, really cool that they just started that all, and now that I'm engaged to Joe, I just know them all so well. They are so talented, kind, just loving people, and I, I just love them. They're the best. That is fantastic. I am very excited because hopefully I will be able to have some of the star kids on the show to talk about <gasps> yes. the trilogy because I emailed your friend, Pat Brady. Oh. The best was I sent her an email because I found out that information online just like looking up how do I get in touch with star kid. Mm -hmm. And then I sent her an email like, hi, I host a podcast. I'm getting to a very Potter musical. People really want me to cover it. I think it would be really fun. And then I was not expecting it to work. And then like eight minutes after I sent the email, she was like, yep, just forwarded it to the whole team. I was like, oh, okay. So she's the best. She seems like a wonderful human. I've talked she with Nick a little bit about getting some star kids on. So that will hopefully be coming in the future. But for now, we're here to talk about a very Potter sequel, which yes. a lot of people told me is their favorite. And a lot of people said that they thought I might like this one more than the other one. But a couple of people said, I think you'll like everything except for one part. And that was true. And I think we should just address it right off the top is that the Umbridge depiction is not great or ideal. Mm -hmm. And especially given the timing, it feels especially rough. But I know that Nick has apologized for that depiction on Twitter. Nick, one of the writers and the director, and you told me before we were recording that you were going to address it a little bit. So I feel like they 
know this has not aged well and is not a great look. So I don't know if you have any additional insight. But aside from that, I really enjoyed it. But I I felt gross watching it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very, very big part of this musical. So it's something that you can't really ignore. Joe told me that it was not meant to be a trans joke. And they were really just making fun of Joe Walker being fitness crazy and getting super ripped. And he's playing like a buff woman. And then Umbridge falls in love with Dumbledore but doesn't realize that Dumbledore isn't into women and then Dumbledore thinks that Umbridge is a man so the joke is supposed to be this like total misunderstanding but now looking back they understand how it could definitely be seen the wrong way taken the wrong way and just be super problematic it was just not their intention at all for Umbridge to be this sort of like negative portrayal of a trans woman. And uh, Nick even made a statement on Twitter recently, like you talked about, and he was just like, you know, the truth is if I could do it again, I wouldn't portray Umbridge at all in the way I did. He's like, I see now how hurtful and thoughtless it was. And he's just like really sorry for it. And he said, "Uh, I've made mistakes. There's no excuse for them. I learned a listen, learn, and do better. And uh, for me, even though I love Joe Walker so, so much, like Umbridge was just always a little too much for me. Uh, It never really sat well with me, but some people like love his version of Umbridge. And I've seen just like incredible fan art and cosplays, but like you said, I think it's important to recognize that it's uncomfortable for a lot of people when they're watching this and it's good to talk about. Yeah, I reached out. I made a post in the Potterless Facebook group just asking, hey, any trans and non-binary folks out there, how do you feel about this? Because I don't want to be, look at me, cis straight white man right. getting offended on your behalf. But yeah, I think most people from what I'm reading on the comments here have agreed with what you're saying in that, yes, you realize that it was 2009, 2010, so it's a bit of a product of its time. And people can tell that they weren't necessarily trying to go, oh, let's dunk on trans people. Right. If anything, it's a joke about drag queens and stuff like that, but it didn't really land. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone is, most of these comments say that they don't like it, but they're not super upset by it. Mainly the fact that Nick has apologized and that you can tell that they weren't trying to have bad intentions. But all of that being said, people still do not seem to be big fans of this portrayal. And it really is one of the elements that has aged the worst from the whole play. Definitely. I agree. And it's just unfortunate because it's such a huge part of the plot of the sequel. And it's like you can't ignore it because it's just it's right there. So I'm I'm glad that we talked about it. And I think that it's important to keep talking about um, things that make you uncomfortable, that um, you don't think are, you know, the right portrayal of things. So I think this is good. Yeah. And I think it can happen for things that we love. And on Potterless, I've never shied away from pointing out things in the Harry Potter books that aren't good. Yeah. The books are fat phobic at times. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that even in the canon stuff, we look back and are big yikes moments. So I think it's okay to still be able to love and appreciate something, whether it's the books, the Harry Potter trilogy, whatever it is. But I think it is still important to talk about those things that we don't like. And I tried to get on that in the Harry Potter musical episodes. And that's what I'm trying to get on here is that you can still like the thing. Yes. But it is still important to recognize the parts that are at fault and learn from them because we all have to learn. And these kids wrote it when they were in college. So that was a big learning time. We all did stuff back then that we are not proud of. And I am very happy to know that 
Starkid has moved beyond this. They've become more accepting. Nick has apologized for it and owned up to it, unlike a certain person oh. that needs to own up and apologize and seems like she never will. But instead of I talking know. about her, let's talk about a Harry Potter sequel. Yes, please. Oh. Let's let's talk about a Harry <laughs> Potter sequel. Oh, man. Okay. So it opens with, I think, my favorite portrayal of a character, at least a new character, is the way they did Lucius Malfoy yes. is absolutely Fantastic, because Ugh. I've always been a fan of Lucius being one for the theatrics and being so dramatic. It's why I love uh, Emily Cartoons' depiction of him in My Life is a Background Slytherin. All that kind of stuff is fantastic. So it opens with Lucius talking to Yaxley about Voldemort being dead. And right off the bat, the first thing I noticed is that the production quality jump from a very Potter musical to a very Potter sequel is Really good. It's yeah. a huge significant jump, and it made me as a viewer in 2020 excited. So a Very Potter sequel was kind of like a Star Kid summer camp because most of them had already graduated at that point and moved away from Michigan. Okay. But they all came back to do the sequel together. So it was like a really, really like emotional time for them. That's so sweet. Yeah, isn't that? I was like, that's the best. And yeah, the the quality went up a lot. So we are thankful. <laughs> yes. And uh Lucius uh, is played by Tyler Brunsman, and he just set the standard so high just right off the bat because he is a professional musical theater performer and just such a good dancer and just like prancing around the stage. And that was the joke of Draco always falling over because he's trying to emulate his father's dancing. Oh, and it just like, okay. he can't do it. And also Lucius just like looks like David Bowie in Labyrinth. So I love. It's really good. It's a very solid outfit, wig, costume, all of that. And I still watch this one with the captions on to make sure I heard all of the lines properly. Right. But one of my favorite things about the YouTube video is that they've put in some captions where they describe the stage direction things that are happening. And it's very funny. One of the earliest ones is Lucius prances over, which I just think is fantastic to show up in closed captioning and brackets. Yes. <laughs> He's prancing all around. <laughs> he prances all around. I also appreciate that in one of these lines and throughout the rest of the play, they never call orers orers. They always call them the wizard cops, yes! which I always think is very fun. <laughs> yeah, they say, damn those wizard cops. So a very Potter sequel said all cops are bastards and it's beautiful and it's ridiculous to me that Harry Potter becomes a cop. I always hated it. I never enjoyed it. Right? He has to be a Hogwarts professor. It's like meant to be. He loved teaching. And I always I always hated that. I always didn't like him being a R, and I never enjoyed in Cursed Child that Hermione, who famously said that she didn't want to work in government, becomes the minister for magic. Nah, no way, man. Hate it. <laughs> so right away it goes into an upbeat song and I looked at the clock it's like a minute and a half into the play I'm not a musical expert but that felt very short <laughs> like we're singing right off the bat yeah well I think they got some like slack in the last one where it's like there's not enough songs so they just like jumped right into it it's like here's a song here you go <laughs> you want some songs here you yeah, go <laughs> exactly and Darren uh, wrote all the music for this one wow so these are all Darren Chris songs good for him he is a talented boy he is so so the song, though it did come in pretty quick, there was background music going on the whole time from the jump, so it at least fit. And then all of the Death Eaters join in, and the first thing that I realized is that the cast feels 
huge. Yes. It, did it get larger or did they just decide everyone is going to be random Death Eater before we start the play? Um, a lot of people were playing Death Eaters that aren't like Death Eaters later that are different parts. Got like it. Joe was a Death Eater. Like everyone was kind of coming in and saying evil plans. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it was great. And that's actually one of the things from the sequel that's like really memorable. I remember quoting it to all my other like Potter friends. Like we would always be like, we are making evil plans. So it just stuck in my head <laughs> for some freaking reason. And it's great. It's really good. It is. Now, something that made me at first upset, but then I remembered that this came out in 2010, is that they very early on establish that the crux of the plot revolves around a time turner. And having just covered Cursed <gasps> Child for way too many episodes on this podcast, I was furious. But then I realized, wait, this came out six years earlier. Right? And this is, there's, we've already talked to, spoiler alert, if you've not seen Cursed Child, skip ahead. But I already talked about in the first one how they allude at the Bellatrix-Voldemort relationship, and now there's this time turner thing, and then there's later stuff going on with like, oh, not your real dad stuff. Uh, <laughs> what Did Starkid sue J.K. Rowling? Because there's a lot of coincidences. It is like, so exact, it's so funny. I remember when Cursed Child like first happened and everyone was just like, this is Starkid. This is a very Potter sequel. This is like it's the wild. same thing. It's even Lucius who has the time turner. It's everything. I know. <laughs> Theodore not walks through. What's up guys? <laughs> They say that like there's literally no way to move forward from this point. And that's kind of like uh -huh. what they just from looking at everything, they're like, you know what? We just have to go back. And that's kind of what Cursed Child did as well. I can't imagine being a Star Kid fan when Cursed Child came out, because that just had to have been the funniest yes, thing. Yes, it's still <laughs> hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. I can't get over it. <laughs> so the song continues, and I am fully 180'd on the song at this point, because it gets great. And I just think all of the musical elements in this one combine to be better. I think that the writing is mm -hmm. better as a whole. I think the background music is better as a whole. Obviously, the higher quality of the recording and the production itself helps, but I I just found myself enjoying all of the songs in this one so much more. Yeah, I think it was helpful that like, because they did the first one, they and because it <laughs> they knew that people were watching it now, you know? Right, that's a huge factor. Yeah. I don't know if I stated enough in the A Very Potter Musical ones is, now at this point they go, ah, people are watching this. Right, because the first one, they were just putting online to just show their friends and family. They had no right. idea that it was gonna blow up like it did or that people would even care. So now they're like, oh, people actually care. <laughs> so we have to put in, you know, a little more effort into this because people are gonna watch it. I heard, and there were a couple of people posting about this in the Potterless Facebook group. People said that originally when they uploaded it, it was just called Harry Potter the Musical. Yes. And then they got into legal trouble from yes. Warner Brothers <laughs> and they had to take it down and then they re-uploaded it. And apparently when they re-uploaded it, they took out some of the more distasteful jokes as well? Yes. Okay. That, that is correct. <laughs> Shame that a, a few more didn't make the cut, but you know, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where they just had to keep cutting things because it was too long. It was like, this is long in itself. They're both really long. And if they're edited down, they're still very long. Exactly. That's what I mean. It was even longer before. So I'm actually glad that they cut some stuff because it's just <laughs> so long to begin with. And just wait until senior year, man. Oh man, that is so oh, no. long. I figured that one would be shorter because 
because it was at a leaky con. No, it's longer. It's so much longer. I remember oh. sitting there in the audience and watching it and we were all just like, we need to go to the bathroom. They need to take a break. Was there no intermission? They finally had one because we all were like, we need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Please let us pee. I, I swear, it's pee. like five hours, man. It's long. Woof. It's okay. long. Yeah. Thank you for telling me that because I've made the mistake both times uh, while <laughs> prepping for these episodes. Today it worked, but I, it came close to the wire where I was like, oh, I'll wake up in the morning and watch a very Potter musical and then not realize like, oh, I woke up at nine, uh, my time, and we're recording at two. I was like, oh, I have five hours to watch and take notes on a three-hour musical yeah. and I keep pausing to take notes. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, leave a whole day for a very Potter <laughs> senior year and make sure that you do uh, it in multiple episodes because there's a lot oh, in yes. that as well. Oh, yes. We'll be, we'll be taking a ton and I'm sure the the listeners will be very happy that I do more episodes about a very Potter musical. Yes. So no problem there. <laughs> so Harry enters asking about platform nine and three quarters. And again, right off the bat, one of my favorite lines in the whole play is by the guy working at the train station goes, platform nine and three quarters. There ain't no such thing. You're the 700th kid to <laughs> ask me that today. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it is. And Harry is just wearing like the dorkiest hand-me-down clothes. It's and really good. Like Darren is just such a little baby there. It's it's the best. It's great. <laughs> so then the Weasleys all enter, very obnoxiously portraying <laughs> all of the different Weasleys. I do especially love the Percy rendition with the ridiculous wig and the over-the-top nerdy speak. Big fan, big fan. Yes. And Arthur Weasley's voice, Nick Lang, it's just the Mad Hatter. That's I literally had that in my note. I said Arthur is just talking like the Mad Hatter. <laughs> yep, 100%. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. So, of course, Ron comes in being anti-Ginny as his character is established to be, which me as a big Ginny fan always makes me sad, but she's not in the rest of the play, so it's fine. But then there's a line that I'm a little confused about when you think about the age is that after she leaves and it's just Ron and Harry, he goes, God, I hate her. She's such a... And then Harry goes, Butterface. Uh, she's 10? <laughs> What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> it's I they're just making jokes. I like I don't know. It's absurd. It's ridiculous. Again, it's psychology stuff, but the more that I think about some of the more sexual jokes, when you remember the kids are 11ish, not great, but you know. Yeah, for sure. It's like one of those things where they're balancing out like, oh yeah, they're kids and then oh yeah, this is like college and this is still us like goofing around, but you right. have to remember that. It's like when people write fan fiction and it's just like 100%. everyone assume they're 18 and over. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's an yep. alternate reality where Hogwarts is a college now. Totally. You have to think that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I had to do that. I did live shows where I did Wizarding World, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and the first thing I said was everyone's 18. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Everyone's consenting at 18. Let's have fun now. Mm -hmm. Then they establish a new bit because in the first one, there was lots of snacks. But in the sequel, all snacks are red vines now. <laughs> and I do appreciate that Ron always looks the camera dead in the eye and shows red vines. Did they get, did Red Vines sponsor this? Okay. Because it, it felt to a point where like Red Vines might have paid them. So this is hilarious. And this is just such a ridiculously iconic thing from this musical. So Starkid wasn't given any money for this. Uh, what happened was a fan was the daughter of an executive at Red Vines that just sent them boxes. Oh, the daughter of Stephen Red Vines? <laughs> I don't know who it was. <laughs> but they sent them boxes and boxes of candy. And the joke was that 
that Starkid just sold out so shamelessly for just a piece of candy <sighs> that they just like played the joke so hard of it being kind of like a commercial. And I think they even did like a commercial for Red Vines or something like oh. on oh. on their YouTube channel. And now it's one of those things that I cannot look at Red Vines without thinking of Starkid. That's, I mean, I don't blame you. It's absurd. <laughs> now here's a part that makes me confused though, is I don't think Red Vines taste good at all. Oh no. <laughs> I think they are vastly inferior to Twizzlers, but for some reason, they seem to have more of a cultural presence than Twizzlers. Parks and Rec I've been binging through and they like Red Vines there. The Starkid Red Vine stuff. The improv theater I did improv with in Seattle had Red Vines. Oh. I think they taste like those wax lips, you know? <laughs> But yeah. like with slightly more flavor, I will say that the advantage of Red Vines is that since they are more hollow, they are better to use as a straw for stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the only thing they really have going for them. Besides having a superior name, it is a better name. They are disgusting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so good. This is like the VHS Betamax, how did Red Vines make more of a cultural impact because they're even in Lazy Sunday, the Andy yeah. Samberg SNL thing. Mr. Pippin, Red Vines equals crazy delicious. It's how is something that is so much worse taste-wise so much better in references in pop culture. It's baffling I don't baffling know. To Maybe me. it's like the marketing. Maybe just this executive yeah. just sent boxes and boxes Steven of Steven Redvines has just sent boxes <laughs> of Redvines to everyone that to makes digital everyone. videos in the late 2000s. It's like, we got to send them to Andy Samberg and SNL. We got to send hey, them to Starkey. who knows? <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Pull and Peel Twizzlers. <laughs> like, and people really like sort of take a side. It's like, oh, do you like Twizzlers or Redvines? Yeah, it can become a heated debate. I think that the way to settle it is that pull and peel Twizzlers are vastly superior to anything. Oh yeah, I agree. Mm, yeah. But you know, favorite way to say red wines in a German accent. That, oh God, that was very funny. <laughs> it's it's just great. I just love how they just keep bringing it up over and over. And mm -hmm. that's such a Starkid thing is that they just like ram the joke into the ground, like to the point where it's not funny anymore. And they do that yeah. just anyway, just like hanging out. That's what they do all the time. It's infuriating, but so funny. I, I, I agree with infuriating. So funny, <laughs> the jury's out on. I think sometimes it works, but I'm not a fan of callback for the sake of callback. But I think the Red Vine one is funny, and there's one later on in here I think is funny. I think the callbacks worked better in this sequel than they did in the first one. Yes, part. I agree. So Harry has a headband on, and Ron asks about the headband, and he says it was to cover his scar. And he says that the Dursleys told him that he got into a car crash with an alligator, and the alligator ate his parents and then stabbed him. So I love that they've turned the line to this completely ridiculous situation. Right, well, because it's ridiculous to begin with, like in the books, mm -hmm. like, you know, the car crash is the whole like sort of thing that, that the Dursleys tell him. It's like, oh, that's what you could think of, of getting this like specific cut <laughs> on your forehead. So they just like took it and just, you know, ran with it. Made it ridiculous. <laughs> so when Harry removes the headband, everybody realizes that he's Harry Potter and becomes obsessed. We get introduced to some new characters, Seamus Finnegan, who is not Irish, but incredibly cockney, which I think is still fun and works. Mm -hmm. But then there's a depiction that I was less fond of, which is Dean being the most stereotypical black ever with a sideways hat and a rolled up pant leg, and the way that they talk, I was not the biggest fan of the Dean portrayal. I mean, again, they did it on purpose because they were showing how there's just no black people at Hogwarts. <laughs> how it's like, okay. how J.K. Rowling like depicted, you know, the like had the token black person as Dean Thomas, and they're like, okay, like this is we're gonna make it. If this is what you're doing, then we are going to 
just show how ridiculous that is. Yeah, I think it's similar to the Cho Chang joke that they yeah, made in the first exactly. one where mm-hmm. I can see what they were going for if you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. I do think it would have been benefited if they made it a little more clear totally. that that's what they were going for. Because on its surface, you could just say, oh, that's a bad portrayal of a black character. But if there were more jokes in the Cho Chang thing where they more brought to light that Cho Chang is just an amalgam of different Asian cultures, she's her name is just a combination of two different Asian last names. Right. They could have done the same thing with Dean here. So I, I think, and of course, hindsight 2020, we're more aware to this stuff now. If they made it a bit more clear that that's what they were going for, it could have landed a little better mm-hmm. because I think it's easy for some people to at first just think, oh, he's the black one. So he says, I, and wears a sideways hat. Right. Totally. That's fair. So then they launch into a Harry freaking Potter song, which I appreciate as someone that called him Harry freaking Potter a lot. Really? Yeah, it's purely by coincidence. A lot of the things that I've said throughout the podcast in my notes, I always call Harry HP. I always call (laughs) Voldemort Voldy. I always call Dumbledore Dumby. I've said Harry freaking Potter a lot. And now I think I'm starting to realize why so many people told me that I was going to love a Harry Potter musical because just these little things are things that I accidentally did. Wow. That they do. And we share some kinship and I appreciate it. Oh my gosh, destiny. Mm Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed the song, and I also really enjoyed that there's choreography now in a lot of the songs, and it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. James Tolbert did the choreography, and they just, you know, they stepped it up. And they really did. And they're not like musical theater people. Most of them are just theater people. So it's like they really dedicated themselves to this, and I appreciate it. The effort is there. Definitely. And it comes through that it's not just them half-assing it. It's them really trying and really putting together some solid effort. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I love this song so much um, because it's sort of when Harry discovers that he's famous and like, you know, totally awesome. And he just immediately turns into a douchebag after this song. Yep, yep, yep. He's Mm -hmm. just like immediately cool. And it's so perfect. (laughs) It's like the coming of douchebag story. The coming of douchebag moment for Harry. Yep. It's beautiful. So then Rita Skeeter comes in. Very Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter here. Love the voice, the hair, the outfit. It's fantastic. And also, the actress that plays her has some pipes. Was this the same girl that did Ginny in yes. the first one? Yes. Okay. Because mm-hmm. Ginny was, I think, the best singer in the first one. And as Rita, also very good. Oh, yeah. Jamie Lynn has an incredible voice. And she's also really, really good at, like, voices and accents. So this was just, like, perfect. And she just nailed this. She really did. Mm-hmm. And then I just have a note in my notes that I wrote, okay, Darren Chris is really fucking good at singing. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is. He's like a pro. He was solid in the first, but in the second one, I think he really comes into his own. And whether it's the songwriting or he just got better, I don't know. I found his singing to be super impressive in this one. Oh, yeah. He's just such a good performer. I was lucky enough to see him in uh, Hedwig when he was on Broadway. And he just absolutely killed it. It was so good. When he like really focuses on something and just goes for it, he can nail it. And this is just one of those things that you see and you're just like, you know what? He is owning Harry Potter. He is owning the douchiness and the music. And this was, you know, like his baby because he wrote all the songs for this. So you can just tell. Yeah. Did you say he was in a play called Hedwig? Yeah. Is it about the owl? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. 
It's the musical about, um, it's based on Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It's that um, movie that they uh, made into a musical and Neil Patrick Harris was in it. And oh then my, okay. some other people were in it. And then he sort of like took over as the lead. And he was just like so, so good. That's amazing. Yeah, look it up. It's, I will. Like, watch the movie. The movie is great. So the next scene has Harry and Ron entering the car of the Hogwarts Express with the sleeping Lupin. And Darren Chris, he can sing, he cannot pantomime. His <laughs> miming for opening and closing the door, horrendous. I know I have high standards because I did a lot of improv and that is a very hard thing to do. And it's one you have to practice a lot, but Darren, oh boy, <laughs> rough. Well, especially compared to Joey, what he does. Yeah, that's the next thing is that Ron has a great bit where it's not just opening and closing a door, it's security codes and a big circular gear to unlock and swiping and pushing it open and prying it open. It was hilarious. His work, very good. Darren Chris opened the door, walked through the door that he had just established, then closed it and it goes through his legs. It was ridiculous. Well, then Hermione just walked through the door too. So it's like a ridiculous yeah. thing of like, oh, so this is just like Ron being absurd. <laughs> it was it's, really fun. I appreciated it. Uh -huh. It made me feel a lot better inside of, oh no, bad pantomiming. And then, oh, really good stuff. Great, yeah. great, great, great. Yes. <laughs> so then this is when Harry officially gives Ron the headband as a gift. And I still want to talk to the Star Kid team because my theory is that the actor that played Ron couldn't keep the wig on, so they gave him a headband. That's my tinfoil hat theory. <laughs> ah, I actually have no idea. I don't know why like he had the sweatband or what was the joke behind that. But honestly, I do think that the very Potter universe or whatever did the Harry and Ron relationship so much better than the movies did. Yeah. Because I always loved Harry and Ron's friendship. Like Harry loves Ron and Ron like loves Harry. And we don't see that in the movies a lot. He's, Ron is too incompetent in the movies. Yeah. It's so, I hate it. And so like when we see Harry and Ron just like being like buddy, buddy friends, I just love it. And of course there are some moments where they call people bitches and ugly and that's oh, not yeah, great. But no. I think at its core, you have them actually acting like teenage boys mm -hmm. with a normal teenage boy friendship. And that is something that did not translate to the movie very well. Yeah, no. They just don't seem like friends sometimes in the movie. Mm -mm. It's nope. so weird. Very strange. Oh, past Mike, it is strange that they don't seem to be friends. And I wanted to clear the air here. I know that sometimes it seems like we're not friends, but I wanted to let you know that deep down, I do value you as a friend, but I do want to tell you that you gotta stop for a second because we have to take a break for Wingardium Madridosa. Today's episode is brought to you by another podcast that I've created, Modern Muckraker. If you enjoy podcasts that I make, but you want something a little bit different, you might enjoy Modern Muckraker. Modern Muckraker is a scripted show that I created with a wonderful team where I play the role of an investigative journalist who believes that he is completing the world's most important research, but in actuality, the questions that he is answering are things such as, when should Spider-Man take the subway instead of web swinging? This will sound like you're listening to one of those profound podcasts from reputable news news sources, but inherently the questions that we are answering are very silly, but the experts that we talk to in order to answer these questions are very real. It's a fun time. The sound design is fantastic. I am very biased, but I think it's a great podcast. I think you'll think so as well. If you want to listen to it, you can search for Modern Muckraker wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to our website, modernmuck.com. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. 
This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Now, in the Harry Potter world, you have troubles with cell phones in that no one can use them on Hogwarts because technology gets all wonky and stuff. In the non-wizarding world, you have troubles with cell phones in that you can have awful contracts where you get ripped off all the time. Now, you can have a solution to that problem by using Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile sells wireless phone service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass those sweet savings on to you so that you can get wireless plans as cheap as 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You won't have to worry about overpriced monthly bills or unexpected overages, and also every plan comes with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. I have Mint Mobile hooked up on my work phone right now, and... Every phone call I've had, crystal clear. Every time I've had to use data, very quick. Using hotspots is something that I also get with my plan, and I love having that flexibility. So if you want to ditch overpriced wireless bills, you can do so with Mint Mobile. They have a limited time deal, and you can get a premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash potterless. That's mintmobile.com slash potterless. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com potterless. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So if you want to solve your muggle problems with phones, use Mint Mobile today. Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right. I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless. But it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right. I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. So Ron has scabbers, and it's just a little rat stuffed animal, which is great. They also eat birdie bots, and I love that the two flavors that they eat are broken computer and defeat. (laughs) It's really good. It's disgusting. (laughs) So then Ron tries to get some red vines out of his bag, and this is the beginning of a recurring bit that I really enjoyed, which is Crookshanks just showing up inside of stuff. They pull out a Crookshanks, which is just a stuffed tiger. Yes. And uh, then Hermione comes in to retrieve Crookshanks. Ron calls her a nitrile, which I feel like the dunking on Hermione is just so much. I feel so bad for her. Oh yeah, so do I. And this is like even worse, mm-hmm. like on mm-hmm. the dunking on Hermione than on in the first one. Again, it's just because of the joke of how shitty Harry and Ron were towards Hermione, like at the beginning of the first book, like they were, like especially Ron. Ron was not nice to Hermione. And until that sort of like troll moment where they all became friends, like everyone was mean to her. So they just kind of took that and just really, really, you know, went Ran to the with extreme. it very far. Yeah, I think they went too far personally. I, I agree, I agree. Like, I feel bad for Hermione a lot in this. I feel bad for a lot of characters. This musical actually is very, it's so much darker and the humor is just like it's sad. Like you are, I'm sad <laughs> when I watch. Yeah, this. it's a lot of it's a lot of 
jokes made at the expense of other people. Right. And sometimes it's funny, especially if you're making fun of fictional elements or things about the books. But other times when you look at the core of it, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable when it's things like calling Hermione ugly or Dumbledore being upset that Umbridge isn't actually a man. When you make these kind of jokes, it just makes me feel bad inside. I know, me too. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like dark and twisted humor. Some people are and they like love that type of humor. And if you do, then this sequel has like a lot in it. But for me, I just sometimes, like you said, I feel like uncomfortable. I feel sad and like bad for the characters. And uh, so it can, it can just be a little much for me sometimes. And Hermione is one of those things where it's a little too much. Yeah, again, it's a, I see what you are going for, but I don't know that the execution is right. there kind of mm-hmm. joke. Totally, totally. So the trolley which comes by and then is abducted and <laughs> is taken over by a Death Eater with a deep voice, but then Lupin fights it off. Then uh, there's some Lupin homeless jokes, which, okay, yeah, eh, well. But then he also calls Hermione a night troll, and it's like, why is he getting in on the dunking? Can't we just have nice Lupin? If you want nice Lupin, that is not what this Not this play. I'm a big <laughs> not, Lupin fan, and he is oh, oh, no. uh, portrayed a little differently in oh, this one. Yeah, <laughs> Brian Holden portrayed Lupin just so Okay, so Brian Holden is one of those actors where he is just not afraid to just go there and make himself look ridiculous, which is the joke of Lupin a lot where he's like, you know, oh, it's like, you think you look bad or something. It's like, yeah, he does look bad. He looks really bad. But yeah, his portrayal is like Lupin is not a good person. Yeah. (laughs) He's like a huge like asshole. He's a prick. He's just, um, but they did that to kind of like, uh, counteract Joe's like Snape character because like Snape and Lupin have a l- like a lot of back and forth in this and Joe just like loved interacting with Brian. He said it was just so freaking fun for him and just as like in the scenes he he always loved when he was in a scene with Brian because he just thought it was so funny and Brian is just like so funny. Like Lupin is just absurd in this. It's not, there's no... <laughs> It's almost like it's not even Harry Potter at this point. It's just a different character, but he's also named Lupin. Yeah, there's like hardly any of like the Lupin that you love Lupin. The reasons that you love Lupin is not in this at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like, oh, that's piss. Was I drinking piss? You must be Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it also gets into a bit where Lupin's bit is that he curses a lot. Yeah. And I've never been one for, haha, he said a bad word. That's funny. Right. I think this is one of the, uh, of the star kid taking a joke and just, you know, instead of running a 5K with it, running 12 marathons consecutively with it. Always. It's like, okay, we get it. He curses. And if you notice, like, the kids only put their hands over their ears only when Lupin curses, not when, like, anyone else curses. It's yeah. only when Lupin curses. I did appreciate that, but <laughs> it did feel like it was done quite a bit. Oh, yeah. It's it's a lot. <laughs> So Lupin tries to ease Harry's nerves about Hogwarts, and then he ends it with, no one at Hogwarts hates you, and then immediately enters Snape, which I think that this play does such a good job of it. They did a little bit of it in the first, but this one especially, of people entering on 
particular lines that either contradict or go 100% along with what the previous person just said. And that was one of the things I found the funniest in the books is that everyone has such perfect dramatic timing. (laughs) Everyone enters a room at the perfect line. Voldemort comes in with the Canti Potter right at the right moment. So many things. Snape does it all the time. So I really appreciated that in this play, they nailed that because I think that's one of the most ridiculous things in the book. So I love that they made fun of that. Oh, yeah. And I can tell you a little bit about how Joe sort of like created the character. Oh, please, because I got to say, and this is not just because you are the fiance of Snape and you're on this (laughs) podcast right now, but one of my favorite portrayals in the whole thing, but especially in this second one, is Snape. Snape kills. Yeah, this is like really like a reason why I wanted to come on for the sequel is because Joe is like featured a lot more in this one. And like Snape is one of like the main parts of this musical and he just like is so freaking funny. Uh, So for Snape, uh, they knew that they wanted him to have like a specific voice because of Alan Rickman. So they were thinking like something along the lines of like a vampire version of John (laughs) Lennon. (laughs) And then uh, Joe had some professors at Michigan that had a really weird way of talking with their hands and were very theatrical. And then he mixed that with like Captain Jack Sparrow. So that's (laughs) like, so that's kind of where like the eyeliner and the wobbly walk came in, especially like in this one, it's more prevalent. And then um, his face is just like an encapsulation of like Snape always being so miserable and not trying to hide it like at all. But yeah, he's just like this creepy, weird vampire man. And whenever Joe like puts on that wig, he just transforms into this different person. It is completely disturbing, but it's so funny because uh joe did some other stuff with the character of snape he did like the potion master's corner on youtube if you look that up where oh he, i'll have to look into that oh my gosh so he is snape and the character of snape and he is interviewing um the different actors in star kid as actors but he is just totally <sighs> like it's it's very much like a in between two ferns type thing yeah, yeah, yeah so uh that's like a whole series that he did and then he also did um a live show called the joe Moses shows us or Joe Moses one man shows us and when he did that um, he did a lot of Snape stuff there and he would always do like live interviews and he's interviewed me before as Snape and it is always just so uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> Because he's just like such an asshole, such like this like weird character. And I'm just I like I have no idea what he's gonna do like as Snape. Like I just have no clue. But it is so funny. And he I hope he doesn't just do it around the house. No, God, I couldn't. I couldn't take it. <laughs> I can't. But um, but I have like put on the wig before. It is fun. I have dressed up as Snape. It is fun. That's very good. Yes. <laughs> But it's brilliant. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, one of the notes that I did have is that Snape's eyeliner is much more prominent in this production. Yes, again, with the Captain Jack. He just took it to the next level. Yeah, so Lupin goes on to call him Sour Grapes, Snape, and Butt Trumpet, which becomes a recurring insult thrown towards Snape throughout the play. I do like that they are playing on the fact that Snivellus is supposed to be this thing that makes a grown man so upset. Because yeah. I always found that to be ridiculous. So the fact that they go the next level and call him Sour Grape Snape, which does not roll off the tongue at all, and then the butt trumpet thing, making fun of that I think is really funny. Yeah. 
It's great. And then they have such a childlike fight with the name calling and the whole, I'm going to expel you. No, you can't expel me. I've expelled you. It's just, I've always thought that the Marauders not liking each other still as adults is so childlike. Right. So for the play Uh to make fun of that, I think it's great. And even when everybody, and this is probably a hot take, when everyone's like, oh man, I hope that JK, I mean, I don't want JK to write another fucking book anymore. But when people are like, oh man, JK should write a spinoff series. I want a Marauders prequel. I don't. I don't find them very (laughs) interesting. They're a bunch of immature assholes that never grew up. And Lupin is great, but the rest of them suck. And I don't care. If I wanted anything, it'd be the Teddy Lupin spinoff, which would be way better. But I don't know. I I really enjoyed that a Harry Potter sequel just completely trashed the fact that these grown men act like children. Yeah, they really do sort of take that, like, why should, like you said, these grown men care anymore? Mm -hmm. But I I do love the Marauders, so I'm sorry. I don't agree with you. No, it's okay. I just... I just love Sirius and Lupin. I'm a wolf star girl. I can't... See, I can see that. I really (laughs) like Lupin a lot. I like Sirius, and I feel bad for him since his formative years were spent in prison. But (laughs) I think that there are more interesting stories to tell than... There's so many stories. I mean, the wizarding world is endless. Like, you know, there's so many things. Yeah, and now we turn to only fan fiction for those stories. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. The thing that I, like, am waiting for is just, like, a Ravenclaw lead. Yeah. Like, there's never been a Ravenclaw lead. It's so absurd. It's so ridiculous. And this Ravenclaw eraser, I I can't. I hate it. It's very silly. I am a Gryffindor, and I recognize my Gryffindor privilege, (laughs) uh, which is that the books are about us, and all they do is talk about us, and all of the merchandise is for us and all of mm-hmm. that. And because I am married to a Hufflepuff, I've now even seen more of the light of how poorly they're mistreated. But like, it's weirdly the way that I've, I've seen it. I grew up in New Jersey. Oh and my gosh, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Whoa, what part? Pottstown near Philly. Oh boy. Okay, that sounds very Pennsylvania, like tiny little town no one's heard of. I mean, that's also what New Jersey does. Uh, Like, I'm from Robbinsville. No one knows what that is. But at least coming from New Jersey, growing up, I would watch movies and TV shows. All of these things would make fun of New Jersey all of the time. Right. And when I moved to Texas, people would ask me, oh, you're from New Jersey. People always make fun of it. Does that bother you? And I didn't because at least people are making fun of us. So at least people know who we are. So for Hufflepuff, at least people are making fun of them. At least people know who they are. Ravenclaw's like New Hampshire, where (laughs) it's there, but people don't even know enough about it to make fun of it. Like, yeah, we've got Luna and I guess Cho Chang and Roger Davies. Like, what is... Why is there no, no one talks about Ravenclaw. It I know. is so unfair. I know. Thank God for a fan fiction. And at least Hufflepuff has puffs. Thank God. Yeah, the writers of puffs need to make claws, I guess. Oh my God. And then we can just get yes. a, a really, really nerdy Ravenclaw perspective. Oh, I would love it. Please, puffs. Please. Hire me as a contractor. <laughs> I'll help write it. <laughs> and then cast me as Ludo Bagman. <laughs> I'll talk. I'll talk. I'll make it happen. I'll, I'll talk okay. to people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just email Pat Brady. She gets everything. Oh, done. yeah, she would. She totally would. <laughs> so there's a sentimental moment from Lupin and Harry, which then turns into a sentimental song from Harry Potter about finding his home at Hogwarts. Oh. And it gets really soulful. Mm. And I really appreciate anytime Darren Chris gets into a more rhythm and bluesy vibe <sighs> and I think he killed it. Oh my gosh, this song is so freaking good and I'm not gonna lie, it like makes me freaking tear up when I think of it in terms of like the Harry Potter fandom because it fits just like so well. And honestly like home and not alone are just 
such good Darren songs. Yes. And it just, ah, it's perfect. He, like you said, he's so good at that, like sort of bluesy, like emotional, like taking uh, your feelings and just uh, making you cry. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's a scene transition, but then the song still keeps going, mm. which I didn't know is a thing. But then he gets sorted into Gryffindor and then... Another joke I was not the biggest fan of, and I think this is very 2009, 2010 of them, is the scarf of sexual preference. Oh, yes. Which then sorts Harry as metrosexual, which is the most 2010 joke that you could possibly make. I remember that being a thing. I remember people calling me that because I cared about how I dressed, and everyone's like, oh, you must be metrosexual. And I was like, what's that? And then people would be like, oh, I don't know. You like care about how you look, and you're your button-down shirt is pink. It's like, okay. Right. Why did you say that with a negative tone? I'm very, like, there was an, I was bullied and that was the one that I just never got. Mm-hmm. There's been so many good Scarfy creations though. Oh my gosh, whenever uh. I go to LeakyCon, there's at least like three different people that have made like a scarf of sexual preference and it's a puppet and it works and it's like the the creations behind it have been incredible. I feel like it could work. I think what rubbed me the most wrong about it is that it goes around Harry and says metrosexual, which oh, yeah, I just sure. fully associate with people being mean and just like a very toxic masculinity of, oh, you care about how you look, you must right. be gay and that's bad because it's 2010. I mean, they're kind of making the comment as well how it's like, it's ridiculous that this hat just like chooses a house. So it's like, oh, well, we can that's have valid, a yeah. scarf that like chooses, you know, the sexual preference and I'm sure J.K. Rowling would hate that, so. <laughs> 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 oh, God. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. I mean, if JK wrote it, it would just be like straight. Yeah. Straight. I know. Straight. Oh, my God. Straight. Yep. Straight. Yep. And then Dumbledore. Okay. <laughs> but it would like whisper it <laughs> right. a couple weeks later <laughs> after the books are all done and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, oh man. wait, you're gay. Okay. Oh, man. Just kidding. You like boys. <laughs> yeah. It would, Scarfy would come in and be like, psst. <laughs> Scarfy would come in years after you graduated Hogwarts. <laughs> You're married with children, and then the scarf comes in and goes, oh, by the way, you were gay, but I had to wait until a press conference afterwards to reveal this. (laughs) Oh, man. God. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So then Ron is sorted as bi-curious, and Hermione is sorted as wait until marriage, which that's a better joke. I appreciated that one more. Mm -hmm. And finally... Finally, Draco comes into this play. I was waiting on bated breath and Draco finally enters because I think Lauren Lopez's rendition of Draco is one for the record books. It's so funny. Oh my God. Draco was always my favorite character. I'm sorry, Joe. He knows this. (laughs) (laughs) He knows. It's okay. It's okay. My wife, Kelly, her favorite podcast is Stuff You Should Know. And you know, it's just the world we live in. (laughs) Yep. I'm like, sorry, baby. I just can't. Like Lauren Lopez's Draco is just so hilarious and brilliant and it's like beyond it makes the entire musical like both of them both musicals and it's one of those things where when lauren puts on this costume she just transforms into this completely different person it's amazing (laughs) and i just love like the rolling around the physicality of it of the humor it's uh Brilliant. Chef's kiss. It's really solid. And you're right about the transformation process because I have tried to send emails to get Lauren Lopez on the show and I've not heard back from her or her agents. We'll sort that out another day. But (laughs) I will say that every time I look at 
videos or pictures or stuff of her, it's still so hard to put the two together because in all of her headshots, she looks so nice and sweet. And then in Draco, it's just such a different person and it's yeah. so unique and it's just hard to look at that and then say, that's the same person. Yeah. It's just such a strong performance and such a unique portrayal of a character. And it's just so funny that, yeah, I agree with you that it is just a complete transformation. And she does that with almost every role that I've seen her in, especially like Starkid wise, because she's played so many different characters and she just turns into this different person. It's like you forget. And then she takes, takes off the costume and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it reminds me of Heath Ledger as the Joker because yeah. even as I watch Dark Knight, I can't, I can't see the dude from A Knight's Tale and I can't see the dude from 10 Things I Hate About You. I guess the hair is kind of curly, but I just look at him, even in the one scene where he doesn't have the makeup on, it's just, that's a different person because mm -hmm. they're so engrossed in the character. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful. But Draco comes in with some heat, straight up going, <laughs> I am a racist. <laughs> I despise gingers and mudbloods. Just right off the top, coming in at 100 miles an hour. I love it. Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> yeah. Harry then rejects this friendship <laughs> offer and pushes Draco over. And <laughs> Draco gets up and goes, you are not permitted to touch. And then does a spin move. Ah, fantastic. Oh my gosh. I just, I love, so I'm a huge dreary shipper. Okay. I love hmm. Draco and Harry together. I always have. It's just one of my favorite ships of all time. And so... I love that moment when Harry and Draco like meet for the first time because it's just so absurd. So this is again them like meeting for the first time and having that ridiculous like antagonistic moment. And actually, so this is a weird little call out, but um, so I'm Harry Potter friends with Lin-Manuel Miranda <laughs> and yes, yes. And he told me that in Hamilton, when Hamilton meets Burr, for the first time, he based that off oh of God. when Harry and Draco <sighs> meet for the first time. And that just completely blew my mind and made my entire life. So I just, it's the okay. best thing. Uh, now, I normally didn't think I had any sort of chance to meet Lin-Manuel Miranda, <laughs> but you said you're Harry Potter friends with him. Yes. My job is Harry Potter. How does one become Harry Potter friends? <laughs> with Lin-Manuel Miranda, because I've got a good start going with a very popular <laughs> podcast. Honestly, what it was, it was back in 2010. He was in In the Heights when I was in Billy Elliot. Oh, so you were also on Broadway. Damn yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. And also I put out this uh, YouTube video that he found and he loved and he messaged me and was like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with you. And then we just became friends from there. Gosh, and I, he is just one of the most incredible people. He is like my my hero. I love him. He seems like it. He seems like the nicest person. He, he is. is my dream of is someone that blows up and doesn't change who they are yes. because I love following him on social media because he just acts like a normal person. Yeah. My favorite thing is when he was doing all of this press and stuff for being in Mary Poppins Returns. He was just posting selfies at Disney World. <laughs> Because he's, he's a, a guy nerd. at he's Disney just a nerdy World. Guy. And he loves it and he appreciates like all the fans and it's just the best. I oh he, what a genuine, like incredible human. I love him. 
we all should aspire to be like Lynn Manuel. We Miranda. really should. We really mm-hmm. should. Ugh. So Crab and Goyle go over to rough up Harry Potter for pushing over Draco. Draco says, "No one undermines Draco Malfoy." And then immediately Dumbledore enters and goes, "Oh Malfoy, you little shit!" <laughs> and it's great. Oh, I love the callback from the first play. Mm-hmm. Freaking Dylan as Dumbledore is just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> so absurd. I love it. So then there's a callback that I'm not a, as big of a fan of. I don't find the the Draco diaper stuff particularly funny. Like it's literal potty humor. But wait. And I, but wait. Yeah, the draw the drawing stuff. No, 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 no. But oh. wait. So Draco learning to use the potty and saying like all respectable wizards wear diapers. Do you remember when J.K. Rowling said that thing about how wizards shit themselves? Yeah, oh, did Starkid (laughs) predict this too? Yes, this is like, I'm telling you, they did it again. When she's when that was like announced, wow. this is immediately what I thought of of what had happened. I was like, oh my god, all respectable wizards wear diapers. Gosh. The power of Starkid is beyond right? their own. Like they're too strong for their they're own. They're too good. powerful. They're too powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like something that I just had to bring up because when that was announced, because it was so absurd, I was like, oh my god, Starkid. Oh my god. <laughs> the freaking <laughs> The potty joke, which is so dumb, is like actually relevant. (laughs) So then Dumbledore starts to describe Quidditch and it's revealed that Snape is coaching the Slytherin team, Lupin is coaching the Gryffindor team because McGonagall still isn't in this play. What is happening? Uh, Why is there no McGonagall? Does she come (laughs) up in the third one? I'm gonna rage so hard if she's not. She's perfect. Why is she not in these plays? Uh, Well, you know, because she's traveling through time. <laughs> McGonagall, just vague age. She's a time lord. <laughs> truly, truly. <laughs> I honestly can't remember if she's in the third one because the third one is so long. <laughs> oh boy. Well, hopefully she gets in there. Otherwise, I will be very upset. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention, Neville mm-hmm. Longbottom, which is played by Richard Campbell, is supposed to be Piglet. Oh, I can see it. My wife, Kelly, watches The New Adventures of Winnie the Pooh to help go to sleep. Oh. And uh, I've been getting some piglet exposure through that. Oh, that's so sweet and wholesome. (laughs) I know, it's great. That's the best. I watch like Taskmaster or basketball highlights to go to sleep. and She watches wholesome children's cartoons. That is the best thing. I love that. Snape then announces that the Hogwarts Astronomy Club will be focusing on the cycles of the moon and how they affect different professors, <laughs> which, God, that was, I laughed so hard. That's so funny. <laughs> it's brilliant. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then Lupin starts to become a werewolf. He's like, oh, it's not a full moon. It hasn't been a full moon for 30 days. De- oh, and then he has to run away, which is fantastic. And Dumbledore goes on to reveal that Sirius Black has escaped. Then he says that he's going to be after a cutie little Gryffindor. And then there's more dunking on Hermione because Harry goes, oh, he wouldn't be talking about you. He's talking about me because he said cute, which is just, ah, Hermione. I feel so bad for her. I know, I know. Especially like with the stuff coming up with the songs and stuff. It's like, poor Hermione. Mm -hmm. So then we get the entrance that I didn't enjoy right away and it's Umbridge showing up. And Mm -hmm. right off the bat, the jokes just, they felt like they were in poor taste, especially we're recording this on June 15th, 2020. So this is right at the point where JK's like, trans people can eat my shorts. Right. So I didn't feel great. I do love the actor. I thought he was great as Voldemort and his physique is one to be admired and respected (laughs) for sure. Mm -hmm. But 
I I just uh, I it just I didn't really land. I mean, there are some funny jokes. One of the jokes is funny where it says, I heard once a Dementor tried to kiss her and it died. That kind of stuff is funny. And even Umbridge trying to be like a cool, fun party mom, I think mm-hmm. is okay. But when they get into some of the body image stuff, yeah. like her catchphrase is calling people chubby little fucks, which yeah. didn't really feel great. Then there's a whole thing about it being a man's world. Then she's mean to Cho and calls Cho a skank. There was just a lot of little things piling up in this first introduction to Umbridge that didn't sit right with me. Right, because like Umbridge is a horrible character, but it's like she can be horrible without adding all of these like jokes yeah. that are really uncomfortable. <laughs> right, and I think if the core of the joke is ha ha ha, big muscly dude is playing Umbridge, you don't have to say it, right? because that's funny in itself. If it was just big muscly dude playing Umbridge exactly like she is in the book and the movie, that's still hilarious. Right. I even think it would be even funnier if you have giant muscle guy trying to be dainty little old lady, especially because in the movie she's this tiny little old woman with a high-pitched voice. And I think it would have been funny. I don't think you have to go the next step to be like, hey, guys, this is funny because I'm a boy, you know? Yeah, yep. No, I totally agree. What Like, watching it back, it really is the thing that makes me, like, just the most uncomfortable out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So we've addressed this enough. Let's move on. Yes. Ron and Harry are mean to Hermione again. We're back at it before the Quidditch tryout scene. Yep. And then Lupin and Harry have a bit of a sentimental moment about James. And this starts a recurring bit that I actually do enjoy, which is the Lupin fighting to be recognized as James's best friend, which I think is very funny. Yeah, like who is James's best friend? They all think they were his best friend. Yeah, it's, I love it. It's really solid. Yeah. And Harry won't drop that he continues to think that it's Sirius the traitor. And the initial line of it is great because Harry goes, I thought it was Serious," and he and Lupin waits a beat and just goes, uh, nope, uh, nope. <laughs> He just hates it. Yeah, he totally does. And at this point, I realized that this portrayal of Lupin, whether it's the actor or not, I feel like it had big Andrew Scott vibes. Yes, And yes. I think he kind of looks a little bit like him too. Oh my gosh, which is I can see that. probably why I was so attracted to him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Amazing. So Snape enters. He says that they want the field to train Malfoy as the new seeker. Malfoy slides in under <laughs> Goyle's legs, which is fantastic. I love it a lot. And then Lupin goes to get the field reservation permission slip. And of course, Crookshanks is inside the bag, which is great, really support this bit. And then Snape and Lupin go leave to see Dumbledore to figure out who's supposed to have the field. Harry busts out his guitar, of course. And Malfoy, after saying Potter five times, brings over a drawing of Harry getting hit with a quaffle, much like the little drawing from the movies. And again, the art department is killing it. This drawing is so good. (laughs) The drawing bit is so funny to me, especially when he takes it and he goes, I've stolen your favorite drawing. (laughs) It's just so brilliant because it's just like this little boy, this little kid who's like drawing these things and is so, because little kids when they draw things, it like means so much to them. So it's like, this means so much to Draco and it's just the best. It's really good. And what makes Draco like it is that he notices that the shading on the sweater is particularly good, so he wants it back. And I will say the shading on the sweater was very good. I don't know who did the art for the drawings in the first play and in this one, but everything that is drawn is really well done. I mean, Nick Lang draws a lot of the stuff, so I'm guessing that he did it. Anything that's like 
big art department stuff he did because his art, it's so good. Like this man is so talented. All the props are awesome. Mm -hmm. So yes, Drago takes it back and then unintentionally rips it and then says, well, now look what you've done, Potter. Wait till my father hears about this. (laughs) So then there's some more diaper stuff. Yep. Draco calls Hermione a mudblood. Ron stands up and goes, hey, and then says, yeah, Herman, draw something, which I think that was funnier because I was surprised. I was like, wait, Ron's going to stand up for her? And then he doesn't. Classic misdirect. You'll love to see it. But then it gets into a whole song about how Hermione can't draw. And again, I just feel bad for Hermione. Oh, man. You do not know how many times this song was sung in the Billy Elliot dressing room. Oh, I got no. all of the kids to sing this song, and they would <laughs> not stop singing it. For some reason, this was the song that they loved to do and they were just like of all the songs of all the songs the most annoying one was the one that these (laughs) children latched onto because I didn't show them the whole musical I was just singing the songs it was in my head and then they all started singing it so I like this song specifically just like has such Billy Elliot memories for me and it is the most annoying song and it will never get out of your head (laughs) so then we have Lupin coming back and (laughs) it turns into Lupin can't sing. He fights back against singing. Then for a brief moment goes, I'm Remus freaking. And then then says, all right, stop. And he deflects and brings it back to Hermione can't draw, which I thought that was really funny, especially the little moment where he's like about to start a song and it's just the Harry freaking Potter song. I thought that was really funny. (laughs) Yeah, Lupin is just so... He's so uncomfortable. Just this this entire musical. Like you just, you just feel so... It's so cringy. Like Lupin is just so cringy. It's very much that like not Seinfeld, but uh, Curb like yes, humor yes, where yes, it's yes. like it's so cringy, but it's so funny and you can't look away. That's exactly like what um, Lupin is to me in this. It's just like ugh. for sure. It's really <laughs> solid. So everybody leaves. Hermione tosses Crookshanks aside. And when it lands, there's a glass shattering sound effect. <laughs> which I found it very funny because I did not see it coming. Then she has a song about not fitting in. So I appreciated that she was at least standing up for herself. I do still feel bad for her, but any moment where she kind of decides to push back against all the hate that is thrown her way, I think is good and makes me feel a little bit better. And I think this is a great point to end this first episode discussing the first (gasps) act of a very Potter sequel. Because I want to end on a positive note. Well, I have a lot to say about this song. Oh, good. Yes. Please go on. Yes, please do. And we will... We'll we'll round out the episode with that. Okay, perfect. So this song is my favorite song in this musical. And it's like Hermione's big song. And Joe told me that Darren wrote this song to be a musical theater audition song specifically. Ah. And after hearing this song for the first time, I literally used it for my musical theater audition. Oh, cool. Without knowing, because it really is the perfect audition song. And I just thought it was just like, so funny because that's exactly like what he meant it to be and that's exactly what I used it for. But I love this song so much that I actually did a parody of it in 2012 at one of the Joe Moses shows. (sighs) shows, And then I put it on YouTube where instead of being like the coolest girl, it was about being the biggest fangirl. Mm. And so I like did this whole parody like the biggest fangirl in dreams and slumber, the biggest fangirl on all of Tumblr, the biggest (laughs) fangirl you've ever seen online. It was like this whole thing. And so I like really 
connected with the song and it just uh every time i hear it it makes me so freaking happy (laughs) it's the best it's such a good song it's really really solid so tessa thank you so much for joining on to discuss this first part of the first act we talked about so much stuff that it's going to be more episodes now which is great what a good problem to have multiple things talking about each part so if people want to find you doing stuff on the internet where can they do so oh well you can find me online on youtube at youtube.com slash tessa netting i make harry potter videos on there i also post a lot of potter stuff on instagram at tessa netting and i have a nerdy podcast with my best friend brizzy voices called fantastic geeks where we do a lot of sorting and trailer breakdowns and such and i also play hazel on the disney channel tv show bunked So you might know me from there as well. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining on. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they eat a full bag of red vines, (gasps) wizard Wizard on! on! Yay! (laughs) If you're thinking of making a podcast on your own or you're already making one and you need some help, Multitude has a whole bunch of resources that we've put together over at multitude.production slash resources. One of the newest ones is a PDF by the Next Stop team about how to make a fiction podcast. You can access all of those for free at multitude.production slash resources. Potterless is created by McShubert. It is hosted by McShubert. It is edited by McShubert. It is produced by McShubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfilio, Rose Marie, Dodge Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanera, Audra Eleanor Curlin, Nikita Power, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krause, Sarah Nick, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Pulido, Orca Grower, Vivian the Owl, Haley Hastings, Moser, Alex Consilver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Liz Bigelow, Brandon Pickens, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer, Mark Lufrid, AJ Svensson, Summer Rathel, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia, Addie, Nikki Harris, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Eileen Gazesh, Keegan Curran, Mr. Folk, Maya Floor, Sake, Series Girls for Georgia Davis, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov, Chova, Elizabeth Christopherson, Michael David, Yordi, Kelly, Otilio Kerry, Crumpler, Connie Binkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Husser, Samantha Lentz, Aurora Fruhoff, Marco Zapata, Courtney Marie Grieger, Ashen Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Fail on the Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, McKenna Tweedy, Heather Langeal, Brad Harding, Brianna Cusumano, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Chrissy Tu, Jarl Sviven, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jen and Rose Dowd, Callahan and Darius, Leah Reed, Melissa Robb, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Elizabeth Yu, Britt McLean, Becca Spry, Reese Dignan, Adam Graham, Joseph Torp, Lily's Mom, T-Run Money, Madison, Kyle, Don't Call Me Ninfedora, GK Have It Your Way, Sabrina Balsaker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie Dehray, David Douglas, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Yimki, Bony Pony, Jacob Rossitano, Kelsey Gillespie, Taco Blowfish, Rike Mangor Jensen, Taylor Payne, Rachel Mobs, Megan Moon, Alicia Chapman, Riley Kittis, Colleen Waters, Laurel Happy, Rossanne Batamana, Erica Butler, Miranda Hurley, Landon Schwausch, Kendra Hertz, Natani Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Richard Johnson, Sandra Rose, Kremick Roberts, Andren Kaufman, K.A. Rob, Steve Trelore, Leor Nahum, Angela Hill, Julia Buzak, Demi Lynn, Kelsey Wellis, Michael Beck, Calista Delano, She Who Doesn't Have to Be Named, L. Kringle, Love Cash Longer, Jennifer Terzian, Crystal Pollard, Henrique Wolf, Jeremy Elmore, Delkis, Katrina Smith, Jerrica Law, Michelle Spurge, and Casey Canales, Megan Stempin, Let's Hit a Thousand Patrons, Serenity, Alan Jacks, G, Sophia Lyons, Sat, Matthew Babbitt, Dane Nemcher, Rochelle Unitmaz, Kirsty, Robin Garcia, Chick Parr, Mermaid and her Daddykins, Aaron Uggs, Not My Daughter, You Biatch, Ilaria Vicentin, Liam Simmons, Lori, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campamanes. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash Potterless, twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to Potterlesspodcast.com for bonus content you go to patreon.com slash potterless and merch lives at potterlesspodcast.com slash merch if you want to tell someone about the show whether you reach out to them directly or leave a rating interview online those both really help thanks so much for listening and until next time as they say in the wizarding world of harry potter wizard on 
Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right. I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless, but it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right. I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts.